Our gospel for today is the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Beloved family of God, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. I want want everyone here now to let's get our imagination caps on uh, as we enter into this time. I want you to imagine something with me. Purely hypothetical, it definitely didn't happen to me. So imagine that you are, uh, let's say, hypothetically, you're in your uh, second day of your first year of seminary, hypothetically. Let's say that uh, you moved from Fargo all the way out to uh, California to study and to learn to be a pastor. You're feeling called to be a pastor, but you don't. You're this empty vessel just waiting to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You're waiting to be filled with the knowledge that you'll learn waiting for all of these things. Just imagine with me, hypothetically speaking. Definitely didn't happen to me, just hypothetically. You're in your second uh, class of your whole time at seminary. It's early church history. You have Dr. Marty Stortz, who is this wonderful, kind, gentle presence, but you know she's not one to mess with. You have that sense about her, and it's right. Okay? So you're you're in this, this class, then... Roll call is being taken. You want to be impressive. You're right up front there, front seat, ready to go, ready to learn. And she takes roll call and, and makes sure that everyone is, is present and ready to go. And uh, she takes off her glasses and looks around, puts her glasses back on, looks down over her glasses, like any good seminary professor does, looks over the glasses. Again, this is all hypothetical. Over her glasses, looks right at you and says, Eric, who do you say that Jesus is? She would say your name. This is all hypothetical, right? This definitely didn't happen. Um, She looks over the glasses and says, who do you say that Jesus is? Like I'm a beginner. This is like intermediate level at least. Right? Can you imagine that kind of like the, the panic, right? Who do you say that Jesus is? I was not aware that there was going to be pop quizzes. We weren't aware there was going to be pop quizzes on the first day of class, well, second day of class, I guess. Right? So you, you say something, truth be told, you kind of black out for a bit and you forget exactly what you say. Right? This is all hypothetical anyways. But can you imagine what it is like to to have not only a, a professor like Dr. Stortz, but 
to have Jesus himself ask a question like that? I mean, at some point in our lives, we've been asked this question. Maybe not quite as directly and maybe not by Jesus, right? But we've all been asked in some way, shape, or form, who is Jesus? Or maybe, why is Jesus important? And I know that you faced a question like that in some way, shape, or form in your life because you're here today. You're here. You could be doing a lot of other things with your Sunday morning, but you're here today. So I know that you have faced a question like that and you have answered with whatever faith we can muster up. Peter's answer, you are the son of the living God. Out of all the things that uh, happen in our gospel text for today, this encounter between Jesus and Peter, Jesus' instructions for then what to do afterward, there's a detail in there that I think is easy to miss but can help us understand, can help us crack open this story in a little bit of a different way. And it's right in the first verse. It says, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. And I thought to myself, why Caesarea Philippi? Maybe you're thinking to yourself too, why Caesarea Philippi? Why would he go there to have this conversation with his disciples? And it turns out it's a, a city with a rich history. It's in this very fertile river valley where there's a spring-fed river that nurtures all of the land around it. It eventually flows into the Jordan River, which eventually flows into the Sea of Galilee. Because this was such rich and fertile land, both the Romans and the Greeks throughout history had built temples. Temples to the gods of agriculture, temples to the gods of fertility, temples to all different kinds of Roman and Greek gods to come and worship. And it was known for a holy place because of that. And in about 20 B.C., Caesar at the time annexes some of this territory, puts it under the control of King Herod, who's controlling the area. And as a thank you for this, Herod erects a temple there to honor Caesar. So you have temples to Roman gods, temples to Greek gods, temples to Caesar, and then right around the time of Christ's birth, Herod's son, Philip II, founded the city under the new name of Caesarea Philippi, naming it after himself, as this symbol of Herod's family's continued reign. So there's a city with temples to Roman gods and Greek gods. There's a city with a temple erected to honor the divinity of Caesar, the Roman emperor. There's, it's named after Herod's son who rules over it. And it's into this city, and this city in particular, where Jesus gathers his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? In the midst of all of these temples erected to gods and rulers, who do people say that I am at this intersection of the divinity claims of all kinds of other people? He asks them who he is. All these other gods competing 
for their loyalty. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And I wonder in that conversation, I wonder how long the silence was in between Jesus' question and Peter's response. I wonder if the disciples felt that same kind of way that we all did when the teacher looked down their nose, looked over their glasses and asked us who we say Jesus is. I wonder if they kind of looked around and avoided eye contact with him. Looked down at the floor, wondered why they couldn't be anywhere else in that moment, right? But Simon Peter eventually answers. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. They're gathered together in a city named for King Herod's son with temples to any number of gods around them. And Peter says, you, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds that he has answered correctly. Now the disciples may have had certain expectations for the Messiah, one who would come to conquer Rome to throw down all of the temples to the Roman gods and Greek gods. Jesus will indeed conquer the powers of Rome, but not nearly in ways that anyone expects. Jesus doesn't come as that kind of conquering hero to overthrow Rome. He comes as a a peasant, a son of a carpenter. He doesn't come to rub elbows with high priests or dine with kings as one might expect of someone with such a lofty title, but he comes to heal lepers. He comes to share meals with prostitutes and tax collectors. He's the Messiah and the anointed one they've been waiting for, and yet he comes in a very unexpected kind of way. When Peter answers, Jesus responds by giving Simon, son of Jonah, a new name. And if you can follow me, if you can indulge me in a little Greek nerdiness this morning, there's something here, that something happens in this changing of a name that I think is so powerful for us. Jesus says, I name you Petros. I name you Peter. And on this rock on this Petra, Jesus with a little Greek word play there, on this Petra I will build my church. Now Petros, the name that Jesus gives to Peter, is often translated as a, a stone, a pebble, a small rock of sorts. Whereas Petra, on this rock I will build my church, is translated boulder. There's a size differential there. Peter is a stone, a pebble, and on this rock, on this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, on this rock, I will build my church. It's a cornerstone. And Peter is a pebble. It's as if Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm going to build my church on you, but not only you. You're a small part of a larger community who make this confession of faith together. And when all of us make this confession together, it forms us together in this community. It's like we heard 
the Apostle Paul talk about in his letter to the Romans today. For as in one body we have many members, not all the members have the same function, so we are many, are one body in Christ. And each of us has been given different gifts in accordance with the grace of God. All of us, in some ways, are, are pebbles on this journey. We are small parts of what God is doing in our community, and our families, and yet when we come together, when we gather around this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, when we join together under the banner of that confession, we're boulders. <laughs> and it's on this rock that Jesus builds the church. I was teaching a confirmation class once on the Apostles' Creed, and we had some adults there as conversation partners with young people, and there was an eighth-grade boy there who, who made a truly honest confession when we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. He said, you know, I don't really know if I believe all these things about Jesus. I don't really know what I believe, if I can say that I truly believe all of these things, I don't know if I believe all these things about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Catholic Church and, and all the rest, I, I just don't really know right now. And I'll never forget Helen, who was sitting across from him at the table, and she said, you know, I've, I've been through that questioning and that wondering too. I've been through that in my life too. And it's hard. And she said, but I'm at a place right now where I can truly say that I believe the things that we confess there. And just like I had people who worshipped with me and believed when I couldn't, she looked right at him and she said, I'll be there to believe with you. There are times when we hear Jesus ask, who do you say that I am? And we have no idea how to answer. Whether in grief or confusion, whether we're overwhelmed or just not sure what road to take, we're gathered together as a community. We're not just one pebble on our own. We're gathered together as a community to hold faith with one another to hold this faith together so that when some of us stumble or fall, when some of us are going through that grief or loss or confusion or we don't know where to turn, that we can hold the Christ light for one another in those times of uncertainty. But here's the good news. <laughs> that God does indeed build the church on you. But the even better news is that the whole weight of the church does not rest on your shoulders. That we are gathered here together to do this work of believing together. We do this work together trusting Jesus that he'll be there exactly as he promised. That where two or three are gathered in his name, we confess that Jesus is exactly who he says he is and trust that God shows up in the midst of whatever we may be going through. We trust that God is present, giving us the strength and the perseverance to minister to a hurting world and shine the light of God's hope and peace 
for all who walk together. And so we say thanks be to God. Amen.